Hello and welcome to another rousing edition of Trending Topics with BB. I am your humble host, Brooke Brown, now hence the BB. Well, it is 2019. Happy New Year. This is the first and foremost episode of 2019. But as you will see, there's plenty of new and exciting housekeeping to get out of the way, as I like to call it, for the new year. So, with that being said... Uh, please head to our official website at trendingtopicswithbbpodcast.com. There you will find every link to social media and platform where this podcast is found. If you haven't already found this via Google by turning Topics with BB as your keyword. But if you want the official website, Trending Topics with BB Podcast is and should be your bookmark thus far and if you are a new listener uh, you may need to go to that website anyway to listen to past episodes to get your fix of all of the topics that have been discussed Uh, this podcast is going on four years of labor and love Uh, it has been stretched into four years due to uh, my need to keep a day job but uh, I love getting the chance to sit down and talk to people of all walks of life, all backgrounds, and all topics, hence the name of this podcast. It is about the trending topics that are important to those that are guests on this podcast. And that being said, as you, if you are a returning listener and loyal listener, I thank you. Uh, but you will have figured out in the past that there's been issues with sound quality on this podcast uh, due to technology and long distance and just really my trial and error of how to produce a podcast. Um, And that leads me to this. So my goal is to one day have uh, the right equipment and build my own podcasting studio. Uh, whether it's in my home or at another piece of real estate that is to be determined. But along those lines, this podcast has actually cost me more money than I have made in the past, even with my previous sponsors. Um, But that's really not why I podcast. I podcast just because I find interviews and conversations and learning from different people a valuable thing. Uh, So I have started my own crowdfunding sort of campaign just to test the waters, so to speak. And I have launched it for the first part of this year, just for 60 days on Indiegogo uh, as a chance to create a community and to get more people involved with their passion through this podcast. So if you head over to Indiegogo.com and um, I'm probably saying that wrong. It's probably Indiegogo, whatever, uh, .com and look for trending topics with bb podcasts under campaigns under can uh i believe the category is blogs and podcasts um but nonetheless if you become a backer there is three tiers of perks you get for however you would like to contribute to the cause 
And that gets you stuff like a shout-out here on this podcast, a um, chance to be a guest on this podcast, as well as just be able to be uh, and plug whatever you would like to plug on this podcast as a future advertisement. Um, So for all those listeners finding this podcast, and if you're spreading the word, uh, please head over to indiegogo.com and look up my campaign. Um, That'll also be in the description. The link will be in the description of this episode. Uh, But nonetheless, I would appreciate your support. Now, along those lines... Um, I was able to uh, find a new and exciting app called Ringer, R-I-N-G-R, no E, uh, that allows me to create better sounding podcast interviews for those that may be long distance. Uh, I used to use Google Voice, um, as previous episodes will show you, not necessarily the best audio levels. Um, But along those lines, uh, I found this new app, and this episode that I am about to introduce uh, was used that app for the first time. Now, I didn't know exactly how the audio was going to turn out, and um, I will warn you, please uh, forgive me for my end of the conversation being a little distorted at times. I guess I spoke too much into the mic, and thus it was a little overwhelming for the audio to correct itself through this app. But it is a great app and has um, will continue to be fine-tuned uh, for upcoming episodes and my wonderful guests. Now that that long-winded housekeeping is out of the way, I want to introduce my guest, Um, As you will have known, I'm really into the trance music scene. Love trance music. It has saved my life um, in about three or four years ago, but that's a whole other episode. But along those lines, I love talking to people that love trance music as well and love music, really. Um, I'm a music-aholic or buff or whatever you want to call me. But I found... Through mutual friends, through mutual love, uh, Limelight, which is a great and upcoming, well, they're not upcoming, they're really breaking, but one of the members of Limelight, I will speak to the second member, his name is Nicholas Gunn. He has been in the music business for quite some time, as he will explain in this episode. And um, it is a very interesting journey. And he also talks about not only creating trance music, but his ambient music and rock music in the 90s. So without further ado, and ruining the story of Nicholas Gunn, I give you my wonderful chat with Nicholas Gunn. This episode of Trending Topics with BB is brought to you by Podbean. Did you know that 2018 was the year of the podcast? Hell, I may have made that statistic up. But due to the popularity of the podcasting medium, it is a great way to help your brand or business grow. This podcast is going on four years of labor and love and trial and error. That's why I chose to host my podcast on Podbean. Podbean is one of the medium's best options for hosting your podcast that has been and will constantly evolve over time. My listeners can get one free month now of hosting by heading to www 
www.podbean.com slash ttwithbb. Again, that is www.podbean.com slash ttwithbb. This episode of Trending Topics with BB is brought to you by Teeth Powder 2.0. Have you been looking for a toothpaste alternative that does not contain fluoride? Do you have sensitive teeth, bad gums, and overall bad oral hygiene? Then Teeth Powder 2.0 is the product for you. Now, Teeth Powder 2.0 was developed out of the necessity to strengthen enamel, get rid of plaque, clean gums, and keep your oral health in tip-top shape. This product is exclusive to my listeners, and you can get your own 70-gram order for just $12 by heading to teethpowder.com, then clicking on the Products tab. Again, that is Teeth Powder, T-E-E-F-P-O-W-D-E-R.com, then clicking on that Products tab to get your order. Now have a healthy and prosperous life with Teeth Powder 2.0. This episode of Trending Topics with BB is brought to you by Ringer. Are you thinking about starting your own podcast but need a way to interview guests long distance? Or do you have a need for a conference calling app but without the risk of software issues? Then Ringer is the app for you. After some careful research of all the apps out there on the market, Ringer became the clear favorite. Ringer can be used on your PC or Mac or smartphone through a convenient app. They have two inexpensive plans for you to choose from based on your needs and features to create studio quality audio. My listeners can save up to 25% on a plan using ringer.com slash TT with BB. So what are you waiting for? Have the broadcast of your life with Ringer. And that's again for all my listeners spelled R-I-N-G-R dot com slash TT with BB. Awesome. So I'm glad this was able to work, and uh, I'm excited. And uh, first and foremost, how was your holiday season? It was really good. Yeah, nice. I went back to California, back to uh, pretty much where I grew up mostly, and uh, went back to see some friends, some family, uh, do a, did a little bit of business, not too much, and uh, it was really nice. How about yours? Yeah, it was pretty low-key. had a nice family dinner on Christmas. Um Really didn't do too much for the New Year's because it gets kind of crazy around here. So yeah, is that uh, Arizona? Yeah, in Phoenix. Cool. Oh, very nice. I know. I know quite a bit about Phoenix, actually. Awesome. So to kind of start, I usually like to start kind of with your background. I, I know a little bit about you, and I've read up a little bit, but I kind of would prefer to get it from you, other than maybe what might be on the internet. <laughs> Okay, um, sure. You don't believe everything that's on the internet? <laughs> I don't. Well, good. May. That's good. That's good. That's good. So, um, obviously, kind of, we've met through a mutual friend, Tanner, and yeah. we all kind of have our origin stories, but do you kind of want to start with kind of like where you fell in love with music and started getting into. Yeah. What particular, what any like a particular genre or just in general? No, no, just kind of like where your love of music kind of started, where it stemmed from. Did you oh, gosh, well, come from a musical background? Yeah, so like I was six. My grandfather was a very, very well-known classically guitar uh, trained guitar player. And I was living in Britain at the time. I was born and raised in the UK. And at six years old, uh, my parents came to me and they said, hey, do you want to play an instrument? And I said, sure, I want to play the flute. <laughs> <laughs> and it's only because I'd seen 
the night before James Galway, who's a famous flautist, play on TV. And so I was hell bent on learning the flute. And but it was a good choice because it just so happened I did it well. And I was actually enrolled in the Royal Academy of Music in, in England. And I studied there very intensely classical music between the age of six and 12 before I moved to America. And so that was kind of like my formal training. And I did it so young. It's almost like learning to walk. It became a part of me. Um, I mean, I, I studied with the, uh, the, you know, the greats. I studied Beethoven and Handel and Rachmaninoff and, and uh, Paganini, the, the, the great classical composers and, and Debussy, the stuff that really molds melodic content. And uh, so by the time I moved to America, I had this crazy formal training, um, which kind of blossomed into a more progressive training, which was more rock and roll, more pop, um, not really dance back then, <laughs> unless you want to call right. it disco. Uh, but but um, then I kind of gravitated, gravitated towards playing drums and kit and percussion. And I started rock and roll bands. And believe it or not, I played drums between the ages of 16 and 21. I literally played every club on Sunset Boulevard. Madame Wong's, Gazari's, the Troubadour, the Whiskey. I did them all. And it was just an insane experience, right? Because not only do you get to learn music culture, you get to learn what you like and what you don't like and what you want to be involved in. And obviously, the, the whole rock and roll thing wasn't just... It, it wasn't my speed. I was so young. I, I felt like I kind of wanted to get back into my classical training a bit more and back into my classical roots because it just had a lot more meaning to me. So how long do you have? Because this is a long story. You can stop me anytime. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm riveted. I have a few questions, but continue. Yeah, so I've, I, let's put it this way. As a broad stroke, I've had an insanely dense musical career for my age. Um, and so when I moved to America and I'm playing kit in all these rock and roll bands and playing all the clubs on Sunset Boulevard, then I realized I really kind of want to get back into my classical roots. And, and I kind of observed what was really selling in instrumental music back then. And it was kind of this world, kind of new agey, kind of tribal, kind of earthy nature sound. And there were retail chains that were supporting this type of music. And one was called Natural Wonders. And another one was called Nature Company, and they had thousands of stores at all the high-end malls. So I started actually recording music just on any gear I could find, uh, these ideas. And believe it or not, I was pretty damn good at it. And it turned into something where one person said, hey, that's a great idea. You need to meet this person. This person buys music for that chain. And the next thing I know... I'm getting a record deal, and I'm getting a record deal from one of the largest labels that are specializing in that particular genre, which then turned in to a seven-album deal. I did seven records. I did five records with them, sold two million units, two million records in these retail chains called Natural Wonders and Nature Company, and back in the day, Barnes & Noble, Borders Books & Music, Tower Records, Best Buy, you know, during the CD days. And... You know, as I'm kind of like going and morphing through through this this stage of doing instrumental music, and I had these exclusive commitments that kind of prohibited me from doing any kind of other genre at the time, I had this massive love of this new sound that was coming out called trance. And it was almost like the breakdown of what I was doing already in instrumental, but except you had the drops, you had the backbeat, you had the four on the floor, you had all the stuff that made up, you know, what people know trance to be. 
And, you know, I was listening to the early trans days, such as in like 1997, most I feel, you know, uh, I feel so good, feel so good, excuse me, and early Paul Oakenfold, um, and all that kind of stuff that written in also, also early Armin Van Buren, all the stuff that kind of molded the early days of trans. And so finally, when I kind of got to this point where I wanted to start experimenting with trance, I did it on the side, but I was still doing instrumental music. And then I started a record label and I started a record label focusing on my genre of instrumental music. And it turned into this massive thing where I ended up representing 75 artists and a few thousand titles. And I became the front running record label for the genre. And it was distributed exclusively by Warner. So I had this great deal with Warner. I had this great record label going. I'm kind of producing trance on the side, the early stages of it but I'm really still ingrained in producing my instrumental stuff. But it was at that time I realized, wow, you know, I didn't want to run a record label anymore because it was just taking up all my time. I was pushing pencils. I wasn't producing music. So basically when the decline happened of record retail, about 2008, 2009, and literally the bottom fell out of the market, not just with the banks worldwide, but with record labels, with retail stores, my label collapsed. And it was a great time for me to kind of regroup and say, well, shit, I've got this huge catalog now of like 250 instrumental tracks that are still doing well in the market. And everything's now moving over to streaming full time. Everything's coming out of CD and going towards digital only. I kind of regrouped and I literally took my existing catalog, put it back out there through a deal I have with Sony The Orchard and then started producing trance full time. And that kind of brings me today to where I'm at. And over the last maybe five to six years, I've been kind of honing that, which led me to my deal with uh, Amada and also my partnership with Tanner originally. So there you go, in a nutshell. Awesome. <laughs> so I have about 10 follow-up questions. No. Okay. <laughs> so... You could have interrupted me anytime, by the way. So. No, no, well, first I want to go back to the beginning. Um because I come from a musical background, my father was in Latin percussion, and then I play, I technically can still, I actually, uh, for the first time at about six years, pulled out my Barry saxophone the other day, but I play alto and Barry for 17 nice. years. Um, and the reason I bring it up is, you talked about your, your musical training, and um, I've been having these arguments with, not arguments, but discussions with other people who maybe not may not come from a musical background, but do you think mm. knowing music theory and, and kind of the background in and kind of how to like write music from that side, um, different than maybe some other artists of today that may not have that musical background? Yeah. So that's a great question. And I think that there is natural talent. Um, but, in order to write complex, dense, layered music, true like polyrhythmic and polyphonic music, you have to have a real true understanding of what it all means. If I come to somebody and say, hey, let's write a piece in F minor, I need those people to know what F minor is. Um, if, it, if it's in F sharp minor, I need, I need to know, people need to know what F sharp minor is because music can be extremely complex it just depends on how far you want to take it and how much knowledge you have of how to mold sound, mold textures, 
mode frequency. You gotta remember, all these notes are just frequencies. So the better understanding you have of music theory, the better off you are, period. And anytime somebody says, oh, you don't need to, it's usually they're making up for something they don't have. That's my opinion, but I'm glad others, because I've, I've had this discussion recently with some people that are like, well, what about those people that hear melodies and, and stuff by ear? And my, from my experience, I'm not saying that you can't have that sort of creativity in music, but I feel like with so much music and so much sounds and access nowadays, I feel yeah. like our brains, if you're coming from that, trick you into thinking that it is something new when it's probably a melody you heard on a commercial yeah. or the Well, can song I give you, you a great to? example? So here's a great sure. example of that. So a melody is a melody. It's not really based in theory. It's a, it's a, it's a lead line without progression or chord progression. It basically right. is single notes that make up a melodic structure. Now, there's choices you can make for progressions that can be underneath that melody. Now, there is even scientific and psychological study of why people walk away from music they've heard and remember the melody when they walk away from the song and whistle it or sing it. And it's not because of just the melody. It's because of how the melody fits on the progression. So if you, let's say, for example, you write a piece of music in, well, let's say F sharp minor again. There's certain chord and progressions that work within that key structure that complement the melody, make it much more interesting, make it much more memorable. So if that person was to hear that melody all by itself, the chances of them walking away from that particular experience, remembering that melody and whistling it, are far less than if they heard it against a really well thought out complex progression structure, period. And you have to know music in order to understand that kind of thinking. Right. So, so my next question is, do you suggest coming from the background you do, and maybe I might not have as much as you, but to, to understand kind of, because it's hard. I guess that's why I said I had discussions, arguments with people, because for those that didn't come from a musical background and kind of understanding a little bit more in theory as well as in history. I feel yeah. like they just assume you just use the computer or you just pull out an instrument and play and it's, it's not quite that yeah. simple. No, I think some people have wonderful ears, right? And then they, they can discern whether tones are working together properly. Um, whether or not they can tell you you know, how many, what kind of notes make up a certain progression and so forth. I think I, I don't like to delve too much into theory when I'm writing music because it separates you from, from truly getting in touch with your heart and, and truly getting in touch with, with the experience that you're trying to find deep within yourself. But there is a point during the production process, you fall back on the theory to really tighten it up. And so. That makes sense. Well, yeah, it, it does, because that's what executes an extremely well-thought-out production. And I can tell you this over and over again, choice of bass notes, choice of overall you know, tones that you're using. A pad, you may not want to use a typical triad in a pad because you want to separate the notes out so, it's so, so it sounds better in the mix. There's all these things you have to do and have to understand to do 
in order to get stuff really kicking ass. Otherwise, you just, you know, so basically what I'm saying is you always fall back. The great producers, the great musicians will always fall back on theory to figure out things and really make it finite. Okay. That, that makes more sense. It's just, it's funny. It's kind of hard when you come from that background and then you're trying to explain it to somebody, but they're like looking at you, they're like, what's a scale? And I'm like, okay, never mind. Well, you know, <laughs> but, but the, for the, yeah, I, yeah, I totally get that. And I do, but, but what's the argument there? Are they arguing that they don't, you don't need that or, or, or well, are you sitting yeah. here? So well, what's their music like? Well, it's just, you know, a friend just coming up with a few things they think they hear maybe in their dreams or when they're bored. Hey, proof is in the pudding. Proof is in the pudding. I always say if somebody says they're really good, then play me your stuff. And if and if their stuff isn't well executed and it's not dense enough or it's not beautiful enough and it's not making you cry and it's not well executed and well put together, then, you know, and that, but, but because of their lack of theory, is a result potentially of why it's not well put together, then it's a good argument for maybe they should go learn some theory. Makes sense. All right, so my I next mean, question. Always... <laughs> yeah, no. go ahead. <laughs> no, no, go for it. No, it's, it's just, this is a very common question. And you have to observe excellence to, you have to un observe excellence to understand excellence. And I can't get over the amount of lack of wanting to learn in young producers today just because they have a computer at their fingertips hang up your computer dude go learn some piano theory go learn some chordal theory go learn the basics of music it's not that hard you can do it online you can do it on youtube then come back and produce kick-ass music right because of do you think of the lack of attention span and the way everything's online in terms of music is do you think that's why there's so many people just being like, oh, I can just pull out, um, use software, and that'll create what I want to hear? I think the world has created uh, a massive attention deficit disorder in all of us, adults, young people, everyone. And the problem is, is there's just not enough time being spent in learning the basic uh, approach to, to excellence. Mediocrity is, is pervasive. And mediocrity takes us over when we do not observe excellence. And the problem is we don't have enough excellent people out there saying, you need to be excellent. You need to follow this. You need to do this. You know, I mean, the great producers we all love, the great dance producers, the trans producers, we know who they are, especially the ones who have great ears. We, you look at what they've learned and where they come from, nine times out of ten, they've had to really sit down and learn. Right. So. To kind of also go back um, in your journey, what first struck you, uh, other than the TV performance that you saw about the flute? Because I know <laughs> I grew up with the saxophone, and some people are like, that only yeah. pertains to, to jazz. But I'm like, not necessarily, if you play it correctly. But um, yeah. I mean, the same I, fingering I, as a flute. Right. I mean, it, you know. Yeah. So then you then you have that argument with people that don't know music. Oh, that's a woodwind. But anyway, um, yeah. So so what struck you to flute? Because most people would be like, really, the flute? Unless it's like some insanity. Sick... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I think I, it's I cool. Always, though. I always say it was. 
Yeah. Well, yeah. If you're Ron Burgundy, maybe. But <laughs> no, no but even before was, that, though. You know, you know I guess here's because, the thing. Well, the reason I ask is because maybe it's because I grew up in, in, I don't know if it was like this for you, where you grew up, but I grew up doing the whole band thing and the band kicked. So I was around. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like all instruments. So I guess maybe that was the thing. Um, yeah, I was in band for four years too. I mean, I did the whole thing all the way through high school. Right, and I did marching band even in college. So, yep. like, oh wow, good I for guess... you. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, just for a couple years. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. but that was the thing is like a lot of people. There's a lot of preconceived notions even within the community of what, who should play what instrument. So that's why I was I was curious because most. I guess what I'm yeah. saying is most men don't uh, admit that they played the flute. They always like upgrade I to know. like the trumpet or and something. I, and I didn't until I actually made a career of it. <laughs> it's true. I mean, it's and it's not something I don't really play much anymore because I'd be honest with you, and I'll say this in this conversation. Yeah, it served me well for a period of time when that kind of music was selling. And trust me, I cringed on the fact that God, why didn't I learn guitar? Why wasn't I a really proficient piano player? Because I would have preferred to have been. But for some reason, I just happened to have gotten stuck on that instrument at a very young age. I applied it during a time where that kind of music was selling. And I was doing really cool stuff with it, too. My stuff was mixed with Latin guitar and hand percussion and bamboo flutes that were overblown and really cool sounding, almost like indigenous kind of stuff. And so it wasn't more traditional concert stuff as you would think a flute would be used in. So I used it in different ways, and I made it as cool as I could. And the whole time I'm thinking, oh, my God, can I just play another instrument really well? So it's not like I sat there the whole time going, God, I'm so happy I chose the flute. I just made it work. So is is that also a reason why you kind of transition into drums and percussion? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, without a doubt. I had to be cool. But the funny thing was, it was exactly what I needed because you have you have flute, which represents, you know, melody. Uh, and, you know, it's in the, the counterpoint theory that goes with all of that. And then you have drums, which is purely rhythmic and all backbeat. And, and the two coming together was really a great marriage um because i was able to use my knowledge of theory and percussion and drums along with my knowledge of melody and so forth unfortunately i did have a classical training so i knew i knew a lot about piano i knew how to approach production and so forth so when you put all that together it was kind of like a winning combination so to to continue with that then when you transition after to drums and you you kind of put all of your background together when you were um, transitioning and kind of in the rock scene. How was that? Because um, you mentioned you, yeah. you played in a lot of great venues that are still iconic today. So yeah, yeah. So what was it like playing in the venues? Or sorry, yeah, well, what was that, that period of time like? Uh, it was crazy. It was. It was. I was way too young for it because. It was really kind of a 21 and over venue. And I was like between 16 and 21. And I couldn't even drink when I went there. <laughs> you know, it's like kind of weird. Here I am playing the whiskey. 
and I can't even drink because <laughs> I'm too young. Or we wouldn't even tell them that I was under 21, you know. But uh, it was just, it was kind of weird. But it was fun because um, I got a lot of knowledge on the culture. And it was a culture that I saw destroying people. And it was very competitive. It was very kind of not what I wanted. And it wasn't musical enough, in all honesty. It just wasn't a musical enough. So, well, that kind of brings up. So my father kind of had not a similar, well, kind of, but he was in, he played music at a young age. He was in some bands growing up and he was in bars and stuff and saw a lot of stuff on when he was way younger than like, I think he wasn't even like 16. And yeah, well. it kind of like put a bad taste in his mouth about certain behavior of people, but I can understand. Is that kind of what you're alluding to is that you just kind of see people, um, focus on things that, you know, really take the fun out of it? Yeah, you know, it was just, it, it was just, I think of what, what it was is I, it's coming from the background I had with music. I wasn't getting a lot of satisfaction out of it musically. Um, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Don't get me wrong. I mean, we were playing a lot of covers because no one, no one really wants to hear your originals until you blow up, you know, otherwise you're just, oh God, what's that song they're playing? You know, and so you, you play a lot of covers and you're in this culture where it's highly competitive between the bands. And it's also just kind of a really dirty, grungy scene. And I didn't kind of have that feeling and look about me or want about me. I mean, let's put it this way. The rockers back in the day, the glam rockers and all those guys back in, when I was that age. That's not a scene that I ever thought I would ever be in, period. And and I kind of just found myself in it because I was playing drums. And so it, it just didn't appeal to me for all those reasons. That makes sense. So was there a lot of people that maybe you saw during that time that really didn't stick with it because of that? Oh, no, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's one in a hundred that make it so... Everyone becomes an accountant. Everyone, every promoter, musician. If I gave you a nickel for as many times as I've had a friend or a colleague, and I hate to say this to everyone out there, but the music business is the staying game. And I always try to tell people, young producers, sustainability is your key to success. So don't be too stupid. And the thing is, is if I had a nickel for every young musician that became something else other than a musician because they just didn't navigate the path correctly, I'd be wealthy, you know, as the cliche saying goes. It's it's just such a hard road to hoe. You've got to be really smart. You've got to learn how to monetize the music industry. You've got to be uber talented, and you've got to be able to put all the jigsaw pieces together. All right, so to kind of swing back around on that, then as as from that time period you mentioned like you know that was the time of cds still and now we're in such a everything's streaming and online um world of the music business and obviously the yeah. economy and just the things have changed how have you been able to uh sustain um because most people nowadays that you know you see a lot of artists that are just getting burnt out because yeah. they get, make most of their money yeah. touring all over so, well, I I sold a couple million units in the mid '90s, and I have over 300 published tracks, and I own 
almost 100% of all that publishing. I'm not only the writer, the producer, the engineer, and the composer of all those 300 works. I maintain all those rights. I've maintained those rights. I've corrected all the revenue streams that are payable to me on those rights. And I've made sure that they're all well lubricated across the decades to make sure that all my revenue streams are going to the right area. Because that's a lot of work to have out there. And it does pay. There's licensing. There's movies. There's sync. There's all kinds of stuff that tap into that kind of catalog. If you know what you're doing, you do not have to be uber famous to make a living in the music biz. So, well, that makes complete sense. So, it, so the artists that you hear that like have disputes with their catalog or um, any other thing concerning that, is it because they relinquished a lot of their control, like the rights you mentioned? Yeah, I mean, I I, th I laugh at the dance industry because these kids are so willing to just completely give up their masters in publishing right away um, just for a shot at success. And I am, too, to break into the trans industry. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think there's great deals out there to be had. And it seems to me that the pub splits are quite fair. But you're literally giving away your masters. The master's not really worth much today, not like it used to be when CDs were being pressed. But it's all about publishing and touring today. Um, so I think there's a lot of bad deals being done for the idea that fame is more important. So I'll sign anything. I think if you can get a fair deal on pub, if you're at least getting a fair share, which is probably 50 or better, um, the mass is not even really a point of negotiation because it's not worth much today. But I think if you have great representation and then you have a good idea about where your touring future is going to be. And like I said, maintaining your publishing rights and also learning how to set up your revenue streams, such as registering with the societies, Sound Exchange, ASCAP, CSAC, BMI, depending on which one you want to be there. And also making sure that those revenue streams are being provided to you accurately. Then there is a living to be made. But then again, the whole industry has changed so that streaming is still not paying enough. You would have to have dozens and dozens and dozens and maybe even hundreds of titles performing well before you even saw a good living. It's a sad state of affairs today. It really is. So along those lines, then, with because we because there's been there was an article recently, actually, over the holidays that kind of go along with that. that was trying to explain, I think, I don't know if it was Rolling Stone or New York Times one of them that I actually trust, um, mm -hmm. they mentioned that the top stream song of the holidays was Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas. Yeah. yeah. Then they actually released how much she actually made from it, and people were shocked. And I go, this is what needs to be publicized all the time, because then people will understand yeah. Yeah. why things, why artists that may be famous are still struggling. Um, well, look, we have to understand what the problem is. And the problem has always been right there at our fingertips. It's just not understood or talked about. This kind of loops back towards education within the music industry, knowledge, theory, all that stuff. If a kid doesn't want to learn theory, then he may not be a great producer. He may not be a great composer. If a kid wants to be in the music business, then he needs to learn why is he not getting money on streaming? Why does the copyright law fail him? Well, I can tell you why the copyright laws failed everyone. The streaming companies came in and started business based upon 1976 copyright law. 
It hasn't been modified until just last year with the Modernization Music Act. Things are now changing, and they will change pretty swiftly as we move through 2019. But the most frustrating thing is, Brooke, I sit here telling you this right now, most of the music industry under the age of 30 have no fucking idea even what I'm talking about. But yet they all complain why they're not making a living. They can't tell you why. Because they don't educate themselves. There is a big problem in the music industry with thinking that your talent alone and you're a genius behind the keyboard or in front of the guitar is going to earn you a living. You have to be so good at everything. You have to be excellent at your craft. You have to be uber talented. But you also need to understand what the hell is going on in the business. You just have to know. Right. So I've had the, the privilege recently to talk to some other people that are in trance. Um, um, Ram mentioned something over because I was at went to Dream State, and he mentioned some frustrations. And I've heard this from a lot of people actually in the trance world. I don't know how it is throughout all of dance music, but how okay. they feel that people are putting too much emphasis on like popularity on social media, but on the same token of things, it's still important because. Like, you have to have the following. So, kind of, my question, I guess, is if if people aren't educating themselves, is it because people are assuming that, well, my talent alone should speak for itself as opposed well, to so, maybe yeah everything else? So, social media is, is smoke and mirrors. There's a tipping factor with social media when you have a brand page where you have people, most of your fans, you don't even know who they are. And they're engaging with you in the hundreds and the multiple shares and multiple ridiculous commentary. That's when social media really takes on a beast of its own that's useful. But until then, your social media is the circle of your friends and maybe one circle out from them talking and loving about you. But quite honestly, it's a painful realization when that artist goes outside of that circle and puts their name in on a Google search and they don't even have a knowledge graph show up on the right-hand side. That is a test of how many people are truly searching you in the marketplace. Last.fm is a great way to go see how many people and how much public propagation of your content is being generated to show up on Last.fm. These are all very painful realizations for people who hide behind their social media smokescreen. Social media doesn't mean shit unless you get past the tipping factor. And we know what that is. When a brand page has thousands and thousands and thousands of followers and they're integrating with that person on multiple levels until that point and by the way brand pages that that the, the on Facebook for example let's just talk Facebook which is not obviously IG it's not Twitter but Facebook only has a 16% reach on brand brand pages so it, it's it's sad you have to have mass density there and it's the same with Instagram and it's the same with Twitter. They're just different kinds of platforms, but they all matter. Um, I, the social media tools tool is aggravating to me because there are a lot of artists that are getting confused. <laughs> you know, the fact is that the, your your immediate ring of friends and the the ring just outside of that ring, they'll always love you and talk about you, but it's not the real navigator of your search or the people that are truly searching you in the world 
That's the, the good old Google. Put put the name in. What comes up? Right. So so how do people? I guess the question is, people. You mentioned people like who are young just don't have. They don't understand why things aren't. I guess breaking. But do you also think that because of the idea of fame and maybe fortune and all of that yeah. has outweighed hard work. Absolutely. You hit the nail on the head. I mean, Brooke, that's a very, very smart comment. And it's, it's the defining factor for what's happening. Um, people are, people want instant gratification today. They just want fame. They want to wake up and have a, you know, a freaking Instagram following and be famous. Um, the bottom line is you've got to do the work. And we're sitting here talking about young producers and we're sitting here talking about them not having knowledge. But mind you, I'm talking about the average. I'm talking about the average person that doesn't understand. I also know and have in my circle plenty of young producers that are so well-educated on what they need to do. They are so on the ball. They know what's going, what's going on completely. So I'm, I'm not talking about people who are highly educated or really have an intense knowledge of, of how it's all going on. There's a lot of young people that do, but those people are going to be successful. They will be successful. That is the difference. So I guess going forward then, um, well, we could, we could talk about what, is it, is it, Really a genre thing, or is it? Do you just think it's just the industry as a whole? No, because it's it's, a, it's the industry as a as an industry as a whole. Dance is just it's percolated. It's been percolating for ten years. Dance is just a genre that that is focused very much so on a thirteen to thirty demo. I mean, and it's and it's the new rock and roll, right? And trust me, if you went back fifteen to twenty years ago, we'd having be having the same conversation a little bit differently about a whole different genre. It's it's just that I don't think anything changes. I think knowledge is power. I think the only thing that's different today than has been different from the past is that we are an instant gratification society. And we're seeing a lot of young people rise up in this society that are just not willing to take the time to really become great at what they do. And going forward, how how do we fix this? <laughs> Well, here's the thing. So there's not a lot of people who are older producers like me that are allowing themselves to to be heard. I've tried to I've tried to set up forums um, where where there there's education in music and education in business. Unfortunately, it takes a lot of time to do that, and and I find myself more busy in the studio today than I ever was in my career, which is kind of a downer because. I have so much knowledge to give about, you know, the amount of time and energy and focus you need to put into a music career. Um, but at the same time, set, setting up a workshop or a farm like that takes time and it takes, it takes a, a certain focus of its own. Um, but that's the key. We need mentors. We need older people that are teaching young people the way it should be done. But you can find that in certain schools and you can find that in certain private education. But the music business is weird uh, in that the really, the really good mentors are so fucking busy, they have no time to sit down and talk to the, to the young people. And that's the sad truth.
Okay. That makes sense. I mean, I guess because I, I've had, I guess, I just love music and I'm passionate, but I also love the history and the yeah. intricacies of music. I guess that's just me, my curiosity. Um, I'm not your average person of just like sitting back and letting it happen. I kind of like to research and learn more. Yeah, it's great. Um, it's great. It's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're talking about a certain demo, right? We're talking about, I, can, I think we started talking originally about the, the musician or the producer that basically says, you know, well, I don't have a lot of theory background and I have these ideas, but I feel I can execute them as well as anyone. And then they find that they can't or they think they are and they're really not. <laughs> and it's, because like, there is, a, you know, that whole idea of subjectiveness. There is sure there is subjectivity in music. But there's good and there's bad. <laughs> That's true. I mean, I'm I'm a real and you could ask Tanner, because Tanner's worked with me in the studio over the last, you know, what's a year and a half now. I'm very honest. If I if somebody comes into the studio with me and their stuff is just kinda like, eh, you, you just gotta tell them, man, you you know, you, you need to really put a lot more time in here, here and here and here and here. And half of the time they don't want to hear it because their perception of their own material is far greater than what it truly is. Um, it's it's a it's a difficult place to be. Awesome. So to kind of swing it back around to trans, I kind of remembered like my fifth question. Um, so <laughs> Sorry, yeah, a lot of time. When you brought it back around to trans, because next week um, you mentioned Paul Oakenfold. Well, he's going to be in Phoenix next week, so we're excited about nice. that. Nice. Nice. Um, so you mentioned like your early like discovering of Paul Oakenfold records and Armin records yeah. and and all these great artists that are still out today. Yeah. What what about trance that got you hooked? Other than your classical training and and kind of most would say trance is kind of like yeah. the classical music of dance, but what what kind of drew you to trance back then and and have kept you oh my god well going. well it was the club experience obviously the club the club experience is key and central to understanding that culture and you know you have to be and you you know what i'm saying here the formula of trance is a beautiful magical thing and i think all musical uh genres have a certain formula country has a formula you have certain players that make up country hip-hop certain elements to make up hip-hop uh, so on and so on the trance you have certain sounds and certain textures and certain beats that go into creating it that have always been just absolutely magic it's almost like you died and went to heaven it's so blissful at times and the way the breakdown occurs um in today's trance and the drops you know the 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 contrast and the music and then you tie that into the club experience and you listen and have that experience in the right setting with the right systems, the formula is just astounding. It's just astounding. And I can't tell you that I can listen to trance all day long. If somebody said, okay, I'm, you have to listen to some kind of club music all day long, I may choose house, <laughs> you know, but the, the ultimate climax moment of the club experience of the ultimate blissful state experience to me is trance 
it just has a formula, a winning formula that's just so brilliant, so deep and textural and gorgeous and just so beautiful. So do you agree that it's sometimes hard to listen to what they call EDM? Um, I mean, I, like, I, right, I love techno and I love house and, you know. Isn't that, I, so EDM used to be a much broader statement. It's apparently now a much more focused statement, so. Well, I guess it depends um, on, for me, the definition is kind of music that, you would more than likely, like, I guess because I'm not really into, like, drum and bass or trap or those mm -hmm. type of genres, that's kind of what my definition is, just kind of the yeah. the genres that get everybody to, like, a main stage at a festival. Um, yeah, it's, that, more, it's more the popular tracks that, that, are, that are getting the radio play or maybe, uh, I don't see, I, it's interesting because I'm, I'm terrible at this. I really only focus on what I'm doing. And I tend, that's why I've always kind of needed a good A&R guy up my side. And that's why Tanner and I have been, a, had a, we still do have a great relationship. We're still working together um, in many capacities. And Tanner is one of the best A&R guys I know for his age. He's really, really great. It's, it's because I'm so focused on a certain trance sound or a certain want in trance as I am with certain other genres of dance, such as house or progressive house. Those are my true loves. And I really know what they are and what I'm listening to. So when somebody says, oh, you know, the EDM tracks, I'm totally fucking clueless. <laughs> like, okay, so what exactly are you talking about? You know, you'd have to play me an example and I might go, oh, yeah, I can see what you're saying. But I couldn't tell you. I couldn't actually. Not, not me anyway. Well, I guess it, again, goes back to the subjectivity of music. But um, yeah, it, it's, it's just funny because it seems to, maybe it's just because of the Internet age we're in and that everybody debates every thing possible but um it's just interesting because there seems to be maybe it's just because i'm ingrained in the trance scene there just seems to be such a divide even within trance of the subgenres let alone trance oh, yeah. versus other genres and then it's you know what i mean so it's yeah. just kind of like it gets kind of exhausting well, sometimes because i'm like i just well, love yeah, beautiful there's music uplifting trance yeah, so there's uplifting trance and more traditional trance, and there's your trance 2.0 sound, and then there's your, your classic Armand Amada sound, which is you know now structured a different way than it was a year ago when we first were signed to Amada. There's, there's all those things. I think you do need to pay careful attention to that if you want to be represented by a certain label, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think that some of the greatest talent is, is bridging the gaps between creativeness and expectation. So, like, if our mind on Amada says, well, you know, this is what we're pushing. This is the sound. This is kind of what is the Armine sound or, you know, what we think it's the Armine sound. Um, we're going to produce a track that's more kind of geared down that way, because otherwise all we're doing is is kind of producing ourselves off of the label. And I mean, that's smart business to some degree, but I think magic and beauty can still happen there. That's where the real talent is, is being able to do something amazing, really magic, but still fit formats. Right. I guess also, uh, I, I guess the, the issue is what I've seen, and maybe it's just because I'm too close to it at sometimes, I just need to like, just listen to the music, but there's always just like comparisons among the genres and among the labels. 
to an extent that there's just such rabid following of certain labels. And I'll be honest, I've yeah. been one of them in the past, but recently I'm like, what is the point of following just one label when there's so much good music out there? Yeah, I think I, I, it's a great question. I, I think um, I think there's a sense of belonging. I think it's a psychological thing, in all honesty. I think when you belong to a group or a smaller group or more of a focus group of a, of a sector of a, of a trend or a sound, that there's a sense that you have family or there's a sense that there's a more sense of belonging. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. That kind of makes up the culture, right? That's that's kind of like the backbone of the culture we're talking about. Um, but well, as a producer, I, sorry, go ahead. Well, my second question on that is, I agree. But then what, I, what I'm getting at is the negative, well, I guess you could say it's negativity, but it's the people are so focused on their label or their subgenre that they like tell the little yeah, I just, people. I just don't care. I just don't care about that, though. That's the thing. I mean, I've been in the music business too long to care about people like that or things like that. I really don't care. I mean, I've got this great career uh, of instrumental music knowing that the greatest road to success is creative freedom. And I can, I, I'm not going to say anything on the phone here that's going to shoot my toe off with regards to the culture of the dance music industry. But I can tell you that if if a brilliant dance producer came out there and did something so incredibly amazing and unique that didn't fit the format, he wouldn't have a home. He would be all by himself out there without representation. Now, if that representation, if he got the right representation and he was on one of those labels that had these these followings and and but all these people are having these inner squabbles about what they think is right or wrong or the purists think this is better or that is better. I mean, I think it's all just kind of based around – it's ridiculous. I, I, I think it goes back to your point. I mean, it's about the music. Music must always come first. If you're brave enough to, to stand in front of the line and do something incredibly unique and a big label takes a chance on that sound, you've won. You've won big time. And who cares what people think? I mean, really, honestly, who cares what people think? I, yeah, I mean, it makes it makes sense. It's just it's just interesting because like it gets exhausting sometimes when it's like you see. It's great that people are meeting people and, and enjoying the culture. Are these of producers or are these fans? Are these are these, are these both. musicians? Yeah, see, to me, it sounds more like a fan thing than it does really a producer musician thing because, you know, there's certain there's certain things you just don't apply yourself to as a professional musician. And one of the biggest comments I always hear from the pseudo professional is, "Oh, you sold out." As soon as somebody says that to me, is they're not a pro because they're, they're talking out their ass. The bottom line is, is what does selling out mean? What, that I'm successful, or I developed a sound that was different from the one you love, or I am no longer in your underground crew, or I don't belong to your underground peeps that are all shit-talking about the other underground peeps. It's all stupid stuff. So at the end of the day, I personally think that what you're referring to is a group of fans, potentially, that are purists on their own sound, their own feelings of a certain culture over of, of a certain dance feeling um that is unto themselves and they're just purists in that regard i mean but 
I can't, I can't pay attention to that stuff. It serves me zero purpose. And it makes sense because at the end of the day, what does it matter? But right, no, so, it, it matters. It matters nothing. Right. So we're, we've almost gone the whole time without even talking about your new music. <laughs> so. <laughs> oh my god, um, that. <laughs> yeah. So I did listen to what you sent me, and I'm excited. But I've also listened to all of your other tracks as Limelight. But to kind of cool. speaking of that. Um, talk about the name Limelight, because that's, you know, uh, is that yeah. an alias or is that just what you release trance music under? So, yeah, what Limelight was Tanner and I when we first started, but Tanner since has gone solo. He's basically pursuing a solo production career as well as an A&R career. And, and um, so, but t Limelight is now my moniker for doing upbeat, basically trance, four on the floor probably 132 to 138 kind of stuff. You know, stuff that I, I cannot do in my, I don't want to do in my original name, Nicholas Gunn. So, but the interesting thing about the cross-pollination of these two brands is when you take kind of like what's happening in the trans scene today, we always have that breakdown, that beautiful space in the breakdown. That was That's kind of a part of where my Nicholas Gunn music is. It's that ambient texture. It, it's always been there in my original work. So to cross-pollinate these two brands makes a lot of sense. So basically, my Nicholas Gunn works are purely ambient, down, downbeat, chill, and the limelight stuff is traditional trance. Not traditional in the sense of tempo or sound, but meaning more upbeat, four-on-the-floor kind of stuff. Right, and, and you, you've mentioned, well, I, I know, but to kind of go over for maybe listeners that aren't really listening, um, is you you've released on Armada and you your tracks are played by Armin on a state of trance all the time. Yeah, we've been very um, fortunate. Yeah, we've gotten tons of play there. It's been great. So, so is that to kind of is is that the label that you've just found yourself releasing with or cuz you know, I've no. noticed there is a lot of people release on multiple different labels. So I was just curious if it's just kind of what's... Yeah, no. So it, yeah, so we, we have, we have a deal that basically stops us from shopping elsewhere before Amada, you know, what's called reject a track. And, you know, we, we talk openly about these kinds of deals because that's just the way it works. I mean, so when, when, when you do what's called an option deal with Amada and you're not exclusive, it means that everything that you produce in the studio um, you run by them first. If they want it, they take it. If they don't, then they pass on it. Then maybe you shop it to somebody else that, that's more appropriate for. And in the case of Limelight, Amsterdam Trance and Rosnitz and Music has also been another great partner for Limelight. And uh, Ros has just been wonderful. And uh, there's been two tracks from Limelight on Amsterdam Trance. So that's another partner we've been working with. I've been working with, excuse me. I keep saying we because <laughs> Tanner and I were together for a year. And it's only been six months since we've not been limelight together. So I should say I nowadays. Okay. I love Rasnitsen and I love Amsterdam dance. And I, yeah. Um, I, I, I guess people don't talk about them as much as other labels, but I yeah. want to put it out there to anybody that will listen to this podcast that go check them out and specifically limelight. Cause it, you, you will yeah. love it. But anyway, um, 
So, I, I know sometimes you can't really go into detail about upcoming releases, but um, yeah. before we, we wrap up, what, what do you have coming down and what should people be looking forward to um, for 2019? Sure. Oh my gosh, I got so much stuff. So, I've got a full Nicholas Gunn album, which is 10 tracks of ambient music, which is just probably the best work I've ever done. I'm so incredibly proud of this record. It came from a very deep, uh, meaningful place for me and a lot of hurt, a lot of anguish, a lot of, I don't know, just pure emotion put into this record and it really came out great. Um, so that's coming out underneath my own label that I have with Sony, The Orchard. And it's called Blue Dot, Blue Dot Studios. And I don't really want label representation anywhere for my Nicholas Gunworks. I don't need it. I don't want it. I have great relationships at, at the satellite radio stations and in press and whatever i you know I, i've been fortunate that i can just keep putting stuff out you know so the relationship there is my own but on that record i did a relationship with with raz to do four tracks from the the album that are the vocal tracks the so four vocal tracks from the ambient album we're remixing them for the trans market and, and they're all tempo friendly so basically they were all composed uh, tempo-wise, um, between 135 and 138 on the half beat. So we play tempo games. It's great. It seems like it's downbeat track, but actually it works for a perfect remix as well. So that's happening. So we got this great partnership with with Amsterdam Trance and R&M. Um, so that's happening there. Then Limelight. Um, there's a brand new. There's two brand new tracks coming out in the new year that I can't talk a lot about except for. One that I'm doing with Lex, uh, Little Warrior. What an amazing vocalist. We've got an amazing track with her. Um, the other track I can't talk much about right now because it's still in development. And then there's also a killer remix from a massive name. So we're really excited about that. Awesome. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, lots so, of stuff going on. It's going to be a busy year. Um, you touched on it, and because Tanner is going to be a guest on the podcast soon as well. Um, yeah. Talk a bit, a little bit. I, I, I know you don't need to, you don't really need to go into full detail, but other yeah. than, well, because you keep, you were alluding to the fact that you're used to saying we, but now it's I. Um, yeah, I, I keep saying so, we. Every time I mention Limelight, it's just like, something I've done, I keep doing it, yeah, but that's okay. So, so, just to to be clear, there was nothing... I mean, obviously, you guys still work together, so there's nothing, like, bad. Because sometimes you hear, like, a duo or whatever break up because we just had that whole Dash Berlin <laughs> fiasco. So, yeah. it's nothing well, like that, right? <laughs> oh, no. I mean, look, it wasn't pleasant. Okay. <laughs> if Tana was here with me right now, we'd be, like, laughing our asses off because it was not pleasant. Um, the, here's the thing. So, Tanner is an extremely ambitious young producer um, and great A&R guy. When I, when I first met Tanner, I was looking for a guy to start a transact with that knew every, every, every ounce and angle of the genre, all the hot tracks, what was going on, and who was keeping up with it all. Tanner is like the epitome of that. I don't have enough hours in a day to even think about doing that. Um, because I've got so much other stuff going on with my other side of my career. So you got to be smart. You got to delegate, right? You got to fill in the gaps. 
So Tanner and I had this wonderful partnership. Not only is he a great young producer, he's a great, great young A&R guy. But at the end of the day, we're both born to be solo artists. And we served a purpose together um, in the first year. The, uh, we produced some great tracks together under Limelight. Uh, but in the end, it was quite clear that we were both heading in more of a solo direction. And before the whole thing just got really, really nasty, and it did, it did get difficult. It did get a little tricky. We decided to, to uh, make a deal where I would take the Limelight brand. Obviously, Tanner would retain all of the rights to everything that he's done in Limelight in perpetuity moving forward. Nothing ever changes. And fortunately, we've, we've had an opportunity now to come back together and kind of work with each other independently, filling in our weak spots. Like I, Limelight has a mix show every month. Tanner sources all the content, writes all the dialogue. I hop on the microphone. I finish the production in the studio. But we work together on the mix show. And that's what we were always the best at doing together. So we're, we still have a great partnership that way. And it will continue that way. Awesome. Great. Yeah. That's, that's what I thought. But, you know, you never know. <laughs> um, well, I think, I think people out there, you know, the, I mean, it, got, it was dodgy. It was dodgy for a bit. Um, I, I tried not to say too much. And, and I didn't want to say too much because I love him. I love him like a brother. And it was a very difficult time for both of us. And you have to have a tremendous amount of patience and respect um, for the other person's situation, no matter what. Because what happens down the line is the only thing that reverberates and is left hanging there are the words. <laughs> you just got to shut up and you just got to put your nose down and you just got to do the right thing always. And at the end of the day, we worked it out. and It was a beautiful thing. Awesome. Well, that's great. Well, I'm looking forward to to everything this year. Um, obviously, it, I mean, I, I I'm a fan, but you know, I'm just Thanks. one person over here. <laughs> <laughs> um, Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Well, you know, Limelight's just getting started. I mean, it's it's the it's it's only Limelight has been releasing tracks for just a little over a year. So hopefully. Um, in 2019, it's going to ramp it up even more. So excited about that. Great. So before I let you go, um, is there anything you would like to plug that you haven't plugged? <laughs> like your social Just, media you know, or website? <laughs> oh, sure. Well, no, people can follow us. Uh, follow us. See, I'm always saying us and we. I got I to gotta remember. It's the limelight. Just me. Uh, you can go to Limelight Official on Facebook. It's Limelight Official on Twitter. Uh, excuse me. No, it's Limelight O-F-F-C-L on Twitter. And it's Limelight Official on Instagram. Uh, now, mind you, there's no I in light. So it's L-I-M-E-L-G-H-T. And yeah. um, that could be tricky. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, we yeah, we didn't want to compete with all the other Limelight stuff out there. So drop the I. So at the time when Tanner and I were together, we made that decision. It was actually really good because it's always good. We were talking about search engine optimization earlier and about being smart on the internet. And it really worked in our favor at the time. So, but, um, and then also just really want to plug the new ambient record, writing the thermals, Nicholas Gunn coming out on January 25th. And you can follow me on Nicholas Gunn official. And that's the same everywhere on all social awesome. media. 
Great. Yeah. Well, so, thank you so much for for sitting down and chatting. We've been talking for over an hour, but um, wow, I appreciate that's great. it. That's great. Right, yeah, well, yeah. Thanks, thanks for having me, Brooke. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. Well, have a great night, and till we speak again. <laughs> yes, until we speak again. Thanks, Brooke. I really appreciate it. No problem. Bye bye. All right.